0: Um, and kids, I'm glad you're here. Glad you're here. Katibusana, uh which is African for welcome, very much. We're glad you're here. I'm gonna need your help in just a second, kids. Where are the kids? Where are you all at? Are you all sitting in one spot? You're all over the place. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, I'm gonna need your help in just a second. We're talking about Ephesians, and I'm gonna need some help getting through it. With among other things, if you could also help me keep your parents focused. Um, and uh, keep them from fidgeting, that would be great. And the best way you can do that is you stay focused. You know how that goes, right? They'll follow your lead, all right? Stay with me. All right, we're jumping into the book of Ephesians starting today, we're gonna to do it for the next number of weeks. Uh, if you've got a Bible and you're looking for it, it's about two-thirds of the way through the New Testament, right? You've got the Gospels, uh, you've got Acts, the story of the first church, then you've got 13 letters from Paul. You got three big ones, Romans and 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Then you got Galatians and then Ephesians. Ephesians right there. If you've got an uh, iPad or something, you just type in Ephesians and then you're there, right? Um, Paul wrote this letter from prison, uh, which was one of a number of uh, things that happened to Paul that were less than desirable. By the time Paul was martyred, he was a walking scar. He'd been through a lot. Uh, And this letter was written a a few years after a few years that he spent in Ephesus, a powerful missionary presence in that city, which could easily be described as the epicenter of secular worship, all kinds of gods, all kinds of worship, all kinds of idols in that town. And he was in the middle of it, planting a church and helping people understand that there was a living and true God uh, that was there for them and to live in him um and i can't even begin to describe to you how the 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 level of impact of the letters of paul which essentially are letters about jesus and how we are to live uh, in him in our lives his writings about jesus far outpace any really any other literary works that are there uh, 35,000-ish words, 13 letters have reached, you could estimate, a trillion people. A trillion people. Compare that to Aristotle who wrote a million words and reached two or three billion, which is a lot. Paul's influence is 40 times that. And it's because he's talking about and conveying Something that is absolutely unequivocally true. Somebody who absolutely equivocally lived, died, was resurrected, and ascended and sits at the right hand of God the Father. It is real and true. That's why the influence. There's really no other explanation why an obscure guy in an obscure spot writing 13 letters would have a greater influence than anybody else in the world except for what he was writing about. That's what we're digging into. He starts with a poem, the first 14 verses, and then he moves into a prayer, the next few verses in chapter one, and he paints the picture and sets the tone for what we see in Ephesians, which are the ins and outs of Jesus. The ins and outs of Jesus. That is, what is what is true and what happens when someone is in Jesus. If you read through Paul's first words, which I'm going to do, this unimaginably influential letter, you see this phrase in him, in Christ, in Jesus, in the one whom he loved multiple times. And kids, this is where I need your help. Help me. I'm going to read through this. I want you to count in your head, on your hands, however you need to do it. I might even give you some prompts. How many times in these 12 verses, these 12 lines, does Paul say, In him, or in Christ, or in Jesus. Ready? Here we go. This is Ephesians chapter one, verse three through 14. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus. You could count that one. In accordance with his pleasure and will, When the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and earth under Christ. You could count that one. In him, we were also chosen. We, he's speaking to Jews in this case. We were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. In order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And then he speaks to the non-Jews. And you also, that's most of us, were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is the, a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. How many did you get? 11, 12, There's a bunch, 10, at least 10, probably at least 12, maybe more depending on how you looked at it. So here's the question for today. What does that mean? We say it, we sing it, we pray it. What does it mean to be in him? One of, uh, which I was gonna mention, my wife Tammy and I, uh, I wanted to thank her. She's not here, but I've, I've mentioned it to her since then. For the work she did the last six weeks, bringing the soul healing content, so happy about that. She did a wonderful job. She travels all over doing that stuff. As a matter of fact, she's at Ethos Church this morning. Um, Yeah, God's using her in amazing ways. Thankful for her. She and I went to our first U.S. tennis open in New York City, Flushing Meadows, uh, in 2006. Lots of great memories from that that, uh, season of life and we've been back periodically since then, but that first one was really fun in a lot of ways. And one of them was getting used to and getting comfortable with and learning about how to get out to Flushing Meadows on the 7 train. Riding the subway from Manhattan over to, or Times Square space over to Flushing Meadows is a hoot, particularly if you do it on a weekday morning when everybody's business commuting and everybody's trying to get out to Flushing Meadows. It's a nightmare. You don't want to get on the wrong train, go in the wrong direction. And on the weekdays, it's, they're all local. They're all local. That's what the guy said. They're all local, which means they make every single stop on the way to where you're going. Some trains are express; they skip some stops. These are all local. By the time we get past two or three stops, and this guy's, you know, he's always shouting out: Grand Central Station, Times Square, 82nd Street. Here we are at Hudson Hudson Street, Hudson Avenue, whatever it is. Right? He's just shouting it out. There's no room on the cars. They are packed full. So as we're pulling up to the train, Queensboro, everybody move to the center of the car. Move to the center of the car. people that want to get on the car. So then the door is open and everybody's trying to get on the car. About maybe a fraction of the people can get on the car. Some of them are in the doorway. Some of them are still trying to get on the car. So over and over again, this guy's saying the same thing. Those of you getting on the car, you got to stick yourselves all the way into the car. Stick yourselves all the way into the car. I can't close the doors until you stick yourselves all the way into the car. Being in Jesus, you got to stick yourself all the way in. It's not about thinking about Jesus. It's not about simply doing what Jesus said to do. It's, it's much deeper than those things. Certainly, we think about Jesus. We ponder the things of God. We follow the commands. We do what he says. It's much deeper. It's, it's, it's intimate. It's a compound substance. It's, 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 a, it's a marriage. It's an immersion, if you will. You got to stick yourself all the way in to Jesus. If we want to understand this, In him, phrase uh, a little bit better. Um, We have to see what the author saw. We have to see what Paul saw. That is to say, what he entirely missed and then suddenly dramatically saw. He's one of the brightest minds to ever live, an accomplished Old Testament scholar and a violent, and I mean violent, defender. Of God against all who opposed God as he understood it at the time. And Jesus and Jesus' followers were in the center of Paul's target, Saul's target rather, before he was converted, his name was Saul. He was at the center of their target because he saw Jesus and the people of God as opposed to the things of God. And after he was converted, he confessed. He said, I I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Until God blew his exceedingly bright and brilliant mind, open in ways he could have never imagined. Saul was on his way to Damascus to arrest some Christians and and, and possibly even do them more harm than arresting them. Now, Now, Paul was at the top of the hierarchy when it comes to this sort of thing. He had minions that would go and get the Christians. In this particular case, he was making days walk to go get these particular Christians. I mean, he is arguably bloodthirsty about stopping this revolution. And then Jesus stops him dead in his tracks. A blinding bright light suddenly hits him. He says he was struck by a blinding light from the sky. He falls to the ground and he hears this, Saul, Saul, Why do you persecute me? To which Paul, what would you say if you could speak at all? Who are you? (laughs) Who's talking to me? He's blinded. There's somebody who is talking to me. And he hears this. I am Jesus. It's me that you're persecuting. This was clue number one for Paul. He puts this together over a number of years after this experience. Here is Jesus who, from Paul's perspective, is dead, buried, and gone. From the believer's perspective, he is dead, raised to new life, and ascended and sitting at the right hand of God the Father. In either case, he's not here, per se. And here he is, as far as Paul knows, talking to him. So clue one for Paul is, if, if Jesus is saying that I'm persecuting him, and who I'm actually persecuting, are the followers of Jesus. How is it that I would be persecuting Jesus if I'm persecuting his followers unless they are the same? And they were. Paul was persecuting Jesus by persecuting those that were in him. Paul sees other things eventually. Uh, He sees a shocking new dimension to the family of God. He realizes as he looks back through the Old Testament with new eyes That from the very beginning, God has intended for all of the nations to find their way back to him. The Jews understood it to be only them. Paul understood it to be only them. And suddenly he is realizing, this is bigger than just us. And as crazy as that revelation was, he also first saw for the first time how Jesus was threaded throughout the Old Testament. He began to see all the Old Testament leaders as typecasts of Jesus, anointed to bring blessing to the Jews, to bring blessing to God's people, but flawed representatives. Still blessing came to some degree, but Paul began to see the bigger picture, see the narrative throughout, how it was inadequate, but it was a shadow. You can start start right at the very beginning with Adam and Eve. He says to this Man, who's not a Jew, by the way. And this is Paul's like, oh, yeah. He is the beginning of mankind, of all of mankind. And he says, be fruitful and multiply. God made man, all of man, every man, every woman, every person, every human in his image. And he simultaneously imagined mankind as his expansive, worldwide, multi-ethnic family suddenly Paul sees it, even in the garden, this family that God is trying to build of all peoples, thriving, transforming, with whom God is relationally and intimately connected by his son and the spirit of God. And he says to Adam, trust me, particularly about these trees, don't eat from that tree. You can eat from this one, but don't eat from that one. Got it? Adam says, nope. I'm eating it anyway. All through scriptures, Paul sees this call to trust, call to faith, and this mistrust, this doubt, this uh, moving away from God. And when it happens, you see this compassionate, loving God moving in going, where are you? My son, my daughter, where are you? And he says it to Adam, where have you gone? You don't see this removed God even in the garden. God says, I should crush you. You've you've disobeyed me, the God of the universe. But I'm not going to crush you. I'm going to cover you. I'm going to cover your nakedness. I'm going to give you clothes. And I'm going to give you a second chance. And what I'm going to do is in the future, I'm going to crush the head of the servant who deceived you into doubting me. That's what's going to happen in the the future. It's forecasting. Paul now sees Jesus. Jesus. You can take it all the way through the Old Testament. You can see it in the patriarchs, maybe even most clearly in Abraham. Abraham was saved and it was contributed to him to be righteous because of what? Because of what he did? No, because of his faith, which we oftentimes think doesn't come around until Jesus. But Abraham was seen as righteous in God's eyes because of his faith. And then we see this wonderful man, Abraham, this father of the faith, flail and and fail at going from a fearful man to a faithful man, not in a heartbeat, not in a second, over a lifetime. But God said to him, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Paul starts to see that God's plan for humanity is to be blessed blessed through. To someone who is blessed to be a blessing through. And he says, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. And what we see time and again throughout the Old Testament are these leaders who were raised up, called, anointed to be the ones through whom the blessing would come, which it did in some fashion, but mostly we see failure. We see this cyclical process. We see it in the patriarchs. You can see it in the priests. They all did good things on some of them. Like the priests were continually retelling the stories of old, the stories of God, the stories of the miracles. You see it in the priests. The judges, uh, they had it pretty rough. They basically oversaw a cycle of sin and failure and order and reorder. You just see this sort of cycle of this messy earth and these messy people. The kings and the prophets, same, same deal. Kings were basically lost to the power that they had. And God told Samuel it wasn't going to work. This king thing is not going to work. They're going to get caught up in their power, and that's not the way I work. And we see it again and again. And we see it in the Pharisees that started. Uh, Work in their religious ways a couple centuries before Jesus. It could have and it should have worked, but they were corrupted as well by their own power and political compromise. All through it, Paul is seeing this shadow of what could be and what God is promising to be in the future, the perfect blessed one through whom blessing will come. All these various roles, leaders, valiant attempts made to unify this family of God, but they couldn't. And they often abandoned God. They often harmed one another. They isolated themselves from the world that God intended them to reach. And blessings came and went in the midst of their faith, but it was fleeting. So what Paul begins to see is how God's beautiful family was not coming about as a result of powerful leaders articulate philosophers, stoic theologians, and a mass of religious automatrons. It was coming about in the midst of and through and in spite of a messy life and messy people so that God would be center stage, so that he could be known, so that his presence could be felt, his compassion could be delivered, his mercy could be received, his forgiveness could change. And so that in the midst of it all, God's plan in the midst of the messiness was to continue to grow this awareness for the need of a rescuer, the perfect leader. God's process, hear this, God's process for bringing about his family, which is most of you and I, what, what God's plan for human flourishing in the middle of the mess is revealed throughout the Old Testament narrative as this cycle of faith and failure and forgiveness. Time and again, time and again, time and again. People of faith turn to God and then people of faith turn away from God and they fail to trust. And then God sweeps in and he's forgiven. He forgives. His mercy is always there. A million second chances. This is God's way of bringing about the you that he intended for you to be. This is how God intends to make the church what it is supposed to be. He's not trying to make it perfect and elevated above the world. We don't say come to church where everything's great. We say come to church where we're honest about what's going on in life and how much we need a savior, strengthen us to get us through, to give us life and light and breath. When you look at your life, when you look in the mirror and you think, this is not the way it should be. You're right. But you should realize you're not alone. You're just a human in need of a savior. For the rest of your days, you will look in the mirror no matter what the condition of your life is, no matter how you judge it, no matter how you measure it, no matter how any of us measures it, it isn't going to be quite right. It won't be until we've arrived in the presence of God forever on the arm of Jesus. It won't be. It's a messy life. People are messy. You're messed up. The world's broken. And so are you. So am I. And this pattern in hoping upon dynamic leaders to make it better. Do we do that? Yeah. Bunches and bunches of them were always raising some guru up somewhere, some politician up somewhere and say they can make the world. If I just listen to them, if everyone would just listen to them. It doesn't work. It has the same result. It has fleeting results. To understand what it means to be in him, we have to see what Paul began to see. Everything he thought was wrong and ungodly about Jesus turns out to be the revelation of God's true character and God's true methods. He thought Jesus was entirely wrong and it turns out he was entirely right. But it is backwards from the way we think things get better. The flourishing human family of God will fully come about in Jesus and in his way. This is a very incomplete list of Jesus' way. Jesus' way is in setting aside power. It's in authenticity, not authority. It's in giving rather than grabbing, in forgiveness rather than fairness, in faith in a merciful God rather than fear of an angry God, all within the context of a troubled and painful world that often overpowers his people. Do you ever ever feel overpowered by this world? Yeah, you do. You You feel like you're influenced by wrong influences. You're attracted to the wrong things. You act in the wrong ways. The powers of this world have some influence over us. Paul saw it. The father didn't, nor did the son, fix the world or extract his people from it. Instead, he breathes life and strength and hope into his followers in order to be life and strength and hope in it. Jesus brought the full blessing of God to mankind. And those who believe in him bring life and light and peace into a broken world. Listen to the verses again. I'm going to read these 12 verses again. You can hear it in Paul's words. The father always had the son in mind. Since the beginning, his people, his flailing, failing, faithful, forgiven family would eventually be at peace through this perfect appointed representative. Listen, Ephesians 1 again. Paul, praise be, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In his love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus in accordance with his pleasure and his will, the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we, Jews, right, were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who are the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also, so everybody else, the Gentiles, all the non-Jews, were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, The Jews had an external mark, and now the mark was internal. A seal, a mark, the promised Holy Spirit, a deposit. An internal deposit that testifies to the reality and the truth and the character and the life and the resurrection and the eternal nature of Jesus. Guarantees that and our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Paul is almost literally shouting, that the planned solution to total life has finally arrived. In Jesus, he says, the best possible life for you and everyone has always been coming and now it's come. If all that's true, why isn't the entire world on board? Is there a problem? Yeah most of the world has an aversion to the immersion of Jesus in their life. We're allergic to it. Humans in general keep Jesus at arm, arm's length, particularly his prehistoric eternal existence in particular. Uh, most of the world believes Jesus lived, but they don't really believe who he was or the nature of him. God himself, preexistent, eternal. Barnestat suggests that 20% of all people everywhere don't believe that Jesus was God. That He's eternal. That He showed us and proved to us that there is a future in store. Seems like a low number, actually. Like, well, only 20%? Here's the shocking part of it. That number doesn't change inside the church. That means some of you Haven't embraced that part of who Jesus is. You see him maybe as a good philosopher, a good teacher. No, he's more than that. He's much, much more than that. It's hard to embrace. It seems a little foolish. Seems a little crazy. There's a columnist named Perry Bacon, which I didn't even know names like that existed, uh, for the Washington Post. Um, He's got children which is oftentimes a prompt for people to move back toward church and looking for someone to support and help with values and ethics and that sort of thing. This is what he said um, after his column was written, because it went viral, and so he was being interviewed. And the guy was asking him some questions. He says, I'm looking for a church. And he said, he was raised in the church, but he had drifted away. Uh, He said, and this may already exist, where the Sunday school for his children is very low on the beliefs of Jesus and very high on the community part. And then that reflects a lot of our culture. He says, I'm guessing if I went to 30 churches in Louisville, I could probably find a Sunday school like that, that focused less on Jesus rising from the dead and more about being compassionate and caring as people. And then he goes on to say, since my peace ran, I've been emailed by about 15 churches in Louisville who said, we're perfect for you. So it's not just the people in the church. It's the churches themselves that are Either not believing in the resurrected Jesus, in the eternal nature of Jesus, or they're just not teaching it. It's heartbreaking. It's, it's, it's like a child who dishonors and disowns their parents while fully enjoying the inheritance they've already received. From which historic leader did the virtues of compassion and generosity come from? It's shown pretty well through documented history that humility and compassion were not high on the list if they were on the list at all of what it took to be a good leader. It was seen as weakness. Jesus is the one. What leader ever said power was unhealthy, even harmful as a human possession? Only one. Who was the first documented influencer to discipline men for their poor treatment of women? Jesus. Who is the why behind what most everyone says at funerals? What does everybody say in a funeral about the person who's in the casket? Well, it's good that they're in a better place. What better place? Who showed that there was a better place? Where did you get the idea and the confidence and the hope that there's a better place? Jesus. Who brought about hospitals, homeless shelters, food pantries? People in Jesus. Jesus. Who began and furthered every human rights progress? People in Jesus. The world forgets quickly. We forget who is centrally responsible for the sense of hope that cannot be quenched in humanity. And who is behind the flashes and the glimpses of goodness? The world tends to diminish Jesus, even scorn him, but enjoy what he's ushered in through himself and through those that are in him. Are you in Jesus? (laughs) In Christ, in Jesus, in him, means you've embraced the resurrected Jesus. You've elevated his status fully and completely above any other influencer in the world. You're fully immersed, fully immersed in his teachings, in his identity, and in his spirit, And you're fully allowing that to move in and through you. Being in Him is not just a protection, not just fire insurance for hell. It's participation. It's in setting aside power, it's in authenticity, it's in giving, it's in forgiving, it's in faith. It's in compassion rather than judgment, in humility over arrogance, and love rather than hate, and unity over division, gratitude over entitlement, hope rather than despair, empathy over apathy, transparency rather than secrecy, community over isolism, isolation, generosity over greed. Everybody in the world wants those things, do we not? And we keep going to people who cannot provide it. Being in him, being immersed in Jesus, sheds light and adds depth to the great commission. Listen to this. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. This is what Jesus said. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we think immediately, baptize them, dunk them, which is true, but the word is immerse. It is immerse. Immersing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Immerse them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It doesn't strictly mean in water. (laughs) We do it in the name of, and we do that too, in the name of the Father and the Son, I baptize you. But to be immersed in the name of Jesus, to be immersed in the name of God and to be immersed in the name of the Spirit is to be immersed in all that they are, all that they show, all that they teach, everything about Is to be immersed in everything about them. Like Danae said, it's not a one-time dunk. It's not a one-time immersion. It is a whole life immersion. It's much broader, immersing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to follow all that I have commanded. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I've always said, Jesus is a bad parent. Does that seem awkward? Here's what I mean by that. He's going to be with you for the rest of your life. What parent? Only bad parents do that. Only bad parents go to college with their kids. (laughs) Only bad parents move in with their kids. Only bad parents have no other life but their kids, right? A good parent releases, lets them go, lets them fly, lets them find their own wings and find their own future. Jesus, I'm going to be with you always. I rescue you and I continue to rescue you. I save you and I continue to save you. I am the way. I am the strength. I am the truth. You need me forever. To be saturated and overwhelmed in and by the things of God, that's what it means to be in him. Everything that's recorded, everything that Jesus was, everything that he's done, we embrace it. To be attentive at all times to his spirit steeped in the assurances of peace and provision and love and forgiveness and eternity to be soaked to overflowing with gratitude and generosity and compassion and forgiveness and to have him with forever that's what it means to be in him we're going to baptize six young people this morning they're going to come up here in just a minute they're not going to move quite yet here's why they're going to be baptized because they've been immersed in Jesus already. The families have immersed them in Jesus. Their friends have immersed This church has immersed them in Jesus. You have taught them on Sunday morning. You have cared for them. You have, you have cradled them in your arms. You have immersed them in the things of Jesus. They have been immersed. And today they will publicly acknowledge and be immersed in an announcement they are in Jesus. Immersed with an intention to stay immersed the rest of their lives. Before we bring them up, I wanted to I mentioned I wanted to about celebrate some things. I want to celebrate these things because you have demonstrated in the things we're celebrating your own immersion in the stuff of God. Kids, I need your help again. I don't know who all these superheroes are. So if you can just tell me who they are when they come up. Who's first? Who's this? Wonder Woman? Yeah, what she's celebrating is that 75% of this church serves in some capacity in the church. That is unheard of. That's twice what it normally is. I'll bet it's about 100% of who's in the room. What's next? Captain America. Captain America. Okay, uh, a few months ago, we were riding right about uh, giving, regular giving was right about 20000 a week, and our budget is designed for 24. Since then... In the last few months and weeks, this is the new average. Good on you. You are bringing it. You're doing it. <clears throat> it's, it's awesome. And I, we want you to, the board really wants me to help you focus on that particular aspect of giving. This is a discipline of life. We serve, we love, we care, we give our resources to the works of God. Focus on that. Um, Uh, We're not out of the woods. It's not quite there yet. We're making cuts and trying to make everything balance, and we are set to make more cuts if it doesn't happen. It's not a threat. It's not a threat. I'll take it that way. See, God provides what he provides, and we make adaptations in life to go there, right? So we'll do what we need to do, make the budgets line up. Um, In fact, uh, we we wrote some more detail, and there's a page you can pick up on the way out. Uh, It explains a little bit more where we're at, where we're headed, and we need from you, and that whole thing. And on the back of that, we've got some groups scheduled through the month of September where you can kind of dig in with me and some other leaders and ask questions and um, uh, voice your concerns and those sorts of things. So um, pick up that piece of paper, see the details, flip it over. If you'd like to come to one of those groups, contact Pastor Adam and we'll get you in there. Love to have this conversation. But uh, appreciate you focused on this particular thing. Uh, just your regular faithful giving is what the church needs. Okay, who's next? $245,000, okay. Um, this is, should be a relief to you. We, we need another 400000 for the building. And uh, again, I don't really want to burn you with this. I just want to tell you where we're at. There's, there are people that can contribute to this in ways they, they have um, the capacity to do it, and they're doing it. People are giving to this thing. You all just keep focusing on it. I mean, if you can, fine. But the main thing, you give. But we're $245,000 away to $400,000, which is phenomenal. <laughs> Thanks to those that are... uh, Thanks to those that are able to make a contribution to that, for sure. Batman, right? Okay. Uh, Next. 100. Iron Man. Okay. I I have no recollection what 100 is. But if we did 100-something, like, that is worth celebrating. I really... Don't you think? We did 100. What's that? What was it? It's, uh, it was the care packages for the homeless. Care packages for the homeless. 100 care packages. Yes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's a lot of care packages. Okay. Um, use that 100 for whatever you need. 20. Uh, that's how many of you are in groups. Uh, and those are wonderful. I met with one just the other night and, and a couple others. Just beautiful to see what's happening in that small group space. Good life stuff. Good good. Good mercy, good things. Okay, and, and then this, this 16, Spider-Man, this is the number of missional initiatives that you've been involved with so far this year outside the church involved in the city. 16, which I don't know, it's probably 100 people. <laughs> what do you think? Okay, uh, 50,000, Superman. Okay, y'all know Bob Bloom Free Store. Uh, Pastor, Ju- Pastor, woo, yeah. Pastor Justin is all about diapers. Uh, <laughs> If you're not handing him a pack of diapers whenever you see him, shame on you. He needs diapers so bad. That's the, the whole world revolves around diapers. And we've depleted most of the resources because we give them away for free, so can't really buy them. <laughs> Two weeks ago, came across a manufacturer of diapers that has to, by regulation, pull off certain diapers, check them, put them aside, and never sell them. And they gave Justin 50,000 diapers. <laughs> I walked into the warehouse, and Justin was doing the backstroke in diapers. It was beautiful. He was just, like, so excited. Okay, we just want to celebrate with you all those things. You're doing a phenomenal job. I don't know if there was any. Was that the last one? I think I was it. All right. Oh, wait. You know what this is? Look at this list. You can't read that. You don't need to because it's just the sheer size of it. These are the partners and groups that have used this building. There's tons of them, probably 100 that come in through... I keep using that 100. You're not quite reacting the way I think you're going to use it. I'll pop that screen up there. This this building, uh, we always dreamed and hoped that the hub would actually be a hub in action, not in just words. On a regular basis, we are contributing to the effectiveness and the efficiency of other ministries. We're serving and caring for them and helping them, and they, us... Lots of people. The same thing will happen, trust me, once we get in that building over there in Franz Road. It's going to be a beautiful thing, and it's happening. It's just overwhelming in a lot of ways. Okay. Um, while these guys are getting ready, and we uh, pass the basket around, which we're going to do, I want to put that in a framework for you. Um, in a profoundly true way, the basket is a, is a symbol Of your immersion. Since the beginning, God's intention, as we've seen, is to mature a family on mission, a faithful slice of humanity, eventually and shockingly unified in Jesus. And if you know anything about family relationships and mission, they are enriched and good to the degree that you invest, to the degree that you immerse yourself. So, what we just celebrated your financial gifts, your service, your city involvement your commitment to compassion toward one another and each other in groups, demonstrations of your immersion in him. What we celebrate comes about because you have leaned in and do lean in. When we pass this basket around every week, I, I want you to think of it that way. This is, this is you leaning in. This is you taking the call of Paul to be in him. When you give away what you would rather keep, which is the truth, right? Let's be honest, when you give away what you would rather keep, you're immersing yourself in him. When you divulge a prayer request, you are leaning in to him. When you make a bid for connection, say help me get into a group, would you call me back, you are making yourself available to Him. You are immersing yourself. When you ask a question, when you invite a conversation, when you take a step of faith, you're opening channels. That's what you're doing. You're pouring in, but you're pouring yourself in. You're opening channels for presence and peace and depth with others and God. Pouring into that basket is not only symbolic of a move in Him, but it's the evidence of your immersion in him. The basket goes around. When life comes around, when the week rolls in, let me encourage you, stick yourselves all the way into Jesus. Stick yourselves all the way into Jesus. Brian's going to come up and lead us uh, forward with these. Baskets are going around. The baptizees are coming up. prayerfully, prayerfully engage this time. Thank you, church. Thank you, God. Amen.